Hello. Hey. Слава Україні. Героям слава. Героям слава. Hey everyone, guys. Um, how's uh, what's your latest, Valeria? Gosh, I think uh, I don't even know what my latest is. <laughs> to be honest, I've been um, um, watching the action, the action that Ukrainian Solidarity Group has been doing with Red Bull. Um, you know, uh, today, yesterday was at the F1 Formula One headquarters in the UK. Today was with uh, their headquarters in Austria. And basically, like, basically, Red Bull is a terrible company and has been for a very long time. And they're also terrible by still being in Russia. So it's just been really cool to watch what these guys have been doing and like direct activism has been like it, it like an amazing example of that basically. So it's been pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah, it, there's a a lot of work to do in terms of uh boycotting and calling out Western companies that still uh support Russian terrorism, Russian fascism by sending money there. So sometimes you feel quite overwhelmed when you see those lists, but there are so many initiatives for foreigners that kind of help you guys to orient and, you know, to um, to know which are those companies that still do business with terrorists. So that's important to self-educate as well. It's been uh, quite dark days, literally and metaphorically for Ukrainians yesterday and today's way as well as most of ukraine remains in total darkness and cold with without energy without connection and i must say this is a very uh, effective strategy by russians to target critical infrastructure to drag ukraine into blackout because in the end i think a lot of people feel um quite um disoriented That's one thing when you're being bombed and uh, targeted with rockets. The other thing is when you're in darkness and you cannot call or get in touch with your loved ones and you need to pace your life according to just those several hours when you have the electricity. But yeah. nevertheless, you know, everyone is super resistant and resilient. <laughs> My mom You know, when we do have a chance to talk, she just says, you know, like, whatever, as long as there's no Russia at my doorstep, <laughs> I can, I can, I can endure. Um, yeah, I saw a really good um, quote, basically, like, um, uh, what was it? Like, darkness is temporary, the status of a terrorist state is forever, <laughs> which I thought was quite relevant. Yep. Absolutely. And there are many pictures from yesterday of resilience, you know, the Ukrainian surgeons doing open heart uh, surgery in a, in a hospital. Yeah, I was just going to say that. It was a child as well. It was a newborn, I think, that they were operating. Yep. And, uh, you know, the Ukrainian theater that uh, was having uh, still, you know, playing their music, uh, I mean, darkness. So there is a lot of resilience, but uh, apart from that, there are great pictures to share, but also please donate. Ukraine needs a lot of help when it comes to generators, when it comes to batteries. They're almost not possible to buy in Ukraine at this moment. So if you see any initiatives and fundraising calls that ship that kind of gear to Ukraine, please do uh, join it and amplify. Yep.
And also, I think a good, um, I saw today that Sanna Marin of Finland was talking as well about how governments need to step up and also provide support in terms of, you know, dealing with this massive attack on Ukraine's infrastructure apart from everything else. So um, just an important reminder, if you are, you know, pushing your governments to support Ukraine, this is one of the things that Ukraine needs support with right now. I think this is also for us a very important uh, broadcast, not only because uh, Ukrainian spaces, at Ukrainian spaces, we're committed to go live, whatever happens, literally, it's uh, our small act of resilient uh, resilience and uh, solidarity with Ukraine. But also because today we wanted to talk about something we've been working on for some time as a branch out project of Ukrainian spaces. And we also feel very passionately about it, that this is also one of the ways we can end Russian colonial empire, or at least help in some sort of way to do that. Um, yeah, so we're talking uh, today about Volahab and Volahab as a, as a, as a hub, as a collective uh, of uh, various content creators, storytellers, journalists, we are putting together to expand global awareness about Russian colonialism. So basically we empower and we help our partners to create innovative storytelling. Most importantly, in indigenous languages um, of the people affected by Russian colonialism. And uh, today we're uh, gathering some of our friends and partners who do uh, be, uh, who do, who do um, this job together with us at Volahab to basically you know share with us and share with you guys as well uh, why we're doing it, why it's important, and uh, also why we feel that this is the time to do it exactly now. Yeah, and also just to say before we go to talking to some of our awesome partners. I think it's been, you know, Maxim has been talking about this for a very long time and um, about the importance of actually framing a lot of what's been happening in the region in Ukraine and Kazakhstan and Georgia and other places through the lens of Russian colonialism, colonialism. And it's just amazing that we are able to actually do that now together with others. For me to be part of it is also incredible. And I think it's just time for us to essentially, you know, take this piece of work, take this direction of work in 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 a more kind of cohesive way across different countries. So Maxim, just a massive, I think this project is a, a, a massive sort of testament to how much you've, tr you've been working to make this, you know, a thing. You know, as we often tell uh, folks about Ukrainian spaces and how it originated. So Volehab, of course, originated in the similar frustration and uh, Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine has brought, of course, global attention to this long history of Russian military and political meddling with uh, neighboring countries, not only with Ukraine, but also other neighboring countries and indigenous nations that are now trapped within U Russia. Well, nevertheless, the context and the reasons behind it remain largely misunderstood or very often they continue to be perceived through Moscow and forest lenses, which is even worse. And Russia also has spent and is continuing to spend enormous resources to rewrite, erase, hijack historical facts and 
Also, they are very good at manufacturing disinformation about the history of Russian military, economic, and political imprint. So this definitely distorts international conversation, but it also it has a very toxic impact on public debates in former colonies and uh, also currently colonized communities. And such indigenous voices have suffered also centuries of intellectual, cultural, and identity erasure, and they need support to reclaim their own narratives and make their truths louder. And this is why Volehab exists, and this is why we brought some of our partners and some of our friends to talk about uh, their own challenges when it comes to expanding uh, public awareness about Russian colonialism. Before I get to introduce them, I wanted to um, read a message that one of our partners and one of our co-founders sent to us, Katerina Sergatskova from Ukrainian uh, newsroom Zaborona. Unfortunately, she was scheduled to join, but because of blackout, she cannot. And she managed to uh, go to a supermarket to find a generator, and she sent me this message asking me to uh, quote it to the rest of you guys. In case I'm not going to be able to join because um, uh, now I'm heading into uh, my home that does not have any heating, does not have any energy, I want to tell everyone from me that decolonization is the path to freedom. And until each and every one goes through it, until they themselves squeeze out colonialism from themselves, supremacy, shamanism, until you do that work on mistakes, you will remain encaged. That's why we all need to work on ourselves and squeeze out colonialism and help each other in this. There's nothing to be shameful about it, and it's difficult to imagine our own future without that job being done. So this is from uh, Katya, a message from Kiev to all of you. Maxim, I just wanted to ask you, I know you've already briefly told everyone, but um, I just wanted to ask you before we go into talking to our partners, but personally, why why did you start this project and why did you feel like it was important to bring others from other countries um, on board with it? But here's like the main thing that always bothered me. When you go abroad and you talk about Russian colonialism and the effects on our societies and whatnot, and if you find people that do not ridicule you, that take you seriously, uh, that do not question uh, your account of what has happened to your people. The follow-up question is always like, okay, guys, this is great, but why exactly I cannot find information in local languages about it? So there is a growing number um, of articles, there is growing discourse in English about this thing, but there is almost nothing uh, easily you can easily find in Ukrainian, or other indigenous languages affected by colonial Russian colonialism, like Kazakh or Georgian or Kyrgyz. And yeah, this is something we started looking into it, trying to ask those questions. Well, first of all, because that kind of research for decades has been banned and that kind of conversations weren't encouraged while Russia had a grip on of colonies. 
But even after that, it was really hard for a lot of journalists and storytellers to make that kind of information mainstream for various reasons. So that's where this project comes comes from, trying to fix and fill that gap. And that's amazing. And it's amazing to see how many people have responded to essentially your kind of request to do more and to connect more and to talk more. And I think much more is going to come out of it. But um, I think, yeah, it's so great to have our partners here as well who have been working with us on this. Yeah. Um, okay. So let's start maybe with Vyacheslav. Um, hey, thank you so much hey. for joining us. Uh, you know, happy to hear your voice as well. And uh, thank you for finding the time as well to join us. Um, if you, in our Ukrainian spaces fashion, if you can uh, introduce yourself to the rest, who you are, where you come from, uh, a little bit, whatever is comfortable for you to share for a starter. Of course, of course. My name is Slava. I am founder of um, Kazakh, um, Kazakh independent media, which calls Lust.kz. Um, we are working for the last 10 and a half years, and it's not easy because you, you understand uh, that Kazakhstan is still not a very free country, dependent on so many levels on, um, unfortunately, its neighbors. Um, but also it's authoritarian country still, um, and we, we struggled a lot, we worked a lot, but what we, what we've tried to do for all these, um, 10 years, not only inform about like current affairs and what's going on in, in our country right now, but also about history of our country, including, including history of 20th, 20th century, which is, um, which is quite important um, to understand why we are here now as a country and why we struggle so much with our relations with um, ourselves sometimes, but also with our neighbors. Um, so we, we've, we've worked a lot on different projects um, about history of the country, about Soviet history of the country. And about the, 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 the time when, when the country was a colony of Russia, um, when we discussed this amazing project that we are happy to join Volohab, um, I told Maxim and Valeria and our, our partners and friends that we never called um, Russian colony, colonialism Russian colonialism, unfortunately. But... Um, We've tried our best to tell stories, um, stories of, of, of our people, of um, Kazakh nation, about famine, about repressions, about many, many things that happened to, to Kazakh society during 300 years with, with Russia. And um, now we are trying to do it on another level we're trying to tell more um, about this past, but also about current relations and why it's important for the nation to kind of rebuild its own understanding of um, its history and its current um, situation. Yes, we know each other for you know long time, and of course we've been working on other things before. Um, 
And, uh, you know, we discussed before that, of course, what is happening in Ukraine, genocide that is happening in Ukraine brings so much more attention to this issue uh, in places and other places around the world where Russia uh, had colonies. On the other hand, I know that you personally also been fascinated with this angle, with this topic even before Ukraine. Um, so if you don't mind me asking, for you personally, when was the first time or maybe there was a moment when you decided or looked at the uh, history of your own country, the history of your own family and saw those patterns of colonialism of Russia trying to uh, exert power over your own people, over your own country? You know, my 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 family is um, is in Kazakhstan for I don't know eighty eighty something years, but um, it comes from different parts of the um, former former Soviet Union, former Russian Empire, from Uzbekistan, from Kazakhstan, from other parts, and my my personal my personal interest started when i decided to that i need to understand what happened with my grand grandparents because um, it was never it was never easy to discuss with my grandmother these issues what happened to to her parents in um, in 30s in nine, 1930s and we my my cousin and i we started to like to do a small research she's not a journalist i'm a journalist so it was like combination of efforts and we we've tried to find more information it was not easy but we we found at the end that our grand grandparents died um died in the kazakh steppe between volga and the um, ural rivers during the kazakh famine which is in ukraine at the same years called Holodomor. And um, it was it was a personal it was a personal struggle for me, you know, to how to tell this story but also how to tell other people in my country that it is it is extremely important to to tell stories about, of your families, you know, to to tell more what happened with your with your relatives in that period, what what happened to 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 the country in general in that period, why why so many people tried to escape, why so many people left Kazakhstan in that period, why so many people, which is more important, died of famine in that period, and. This is still untold story, unfortunately, you know, because Kazakh regime, regime of Nazarbayev tried to, you know, hide this topic for years because they were extremely afraid of um, what Russia will say, what Russia will say, well, will, will, will think how Russia will react on that. They never used word genocide um toward the the famine in Kazakhstan it's not that um explored unfortunately it's not that researched unfortunately you know we we 
just we just have few books we just have few documentaries we have a couple of projects about that and unfortunately it is still a lot of work to do that we need to do this this work you know to 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 move forward to understand what happened to to our families what happened to to ourselves why we are we are here why we why we why we struggled so so much in 90s because of because of all these you know uh, all these fears toward our neighbor um so yeah it was it was my personal path and um and i'm still on this path mark to be honest you know as well as as my whole country we're still we're still trying to 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 not maybe not understand what happened because we all understood what happened but to to tell more what happened why it happened and who is responsible for that and I, I also think we're going to have to keep doing that for a really long time, unfortunately or fortunately, I don't know. But yeah, it's important. I think there's so much to be done, as we've discovered. And I'll tell you about this a little bit later, that it's just you just realize how like on one thing, we're pretty far behind in understanding our own history and experiences in that way through that lens, which I think is a really important lens for all of us. So thank you so much. Um for saying that but we also have um another uh, one of our friends nodar from uh, georgia please would you be able to introduce yourself because that's our ground rule introducing yourself the way that you want to be introduced uh hi um uh thank you so much for inviting me and creating this space it's uh it's an honor actually to be to be a part of it um, my name is Nodar. Uh, I'm from Georgia. I'm 25 years old, and I am a founder member of the Shame Movement, which is the biggest civil movement in Georgia. Uh, we uh, have originated as a protest movement fighting against Russian uh, imperialism, uh, fighting against our pro-Russian government, and uh, strongly standing on pro-European values. Uh, we and me personally uh, as an activist have been a target of uh, government propaganda for, for many years. We've been discredited, put in jail, fined for our activities, but uh, like most of the time and pretty much like always our um, our strategy, uh, our activities are, are peaceful. And with our activism, we, we are trying to um, alter this pro-Russian narrative that is coming from our government. Uh, so, yeah, pretty much like that's it. Slava Ukraine. And thank you so much for, for letting me to be part of this amazing thing. Uh, Nodar, uh, your own journey, how you started to look at what Russia is doing to your country, uh, through the lenses of colonialism, so uh, to me 
personally, I, I, I know it may sound weird, but uh, the fact that I am alive and I exist as a human being on this planet uh, actually connects to uh, Russia interfering into into uh, into Georgia, invading Georgia, uh, because uh, my my parents, my mother and father, they, they met each other only because uh, of the fact that my father and the family of my father had to uh, flee Abkhazia after the war. So they became refugees, and this is how. Uh, both of my parents met each other. And this thing of Russian colonialism and Russian uh, aggression, uh, it actually kind of like runs uh, down uh, in my family. Um, you know, um, there's the um, parents, um, the father and, and uncles, and four uncles actually of, uh, of my grandmother uh, were drafted in the Second World War and uh, like, five of them actually died um my my uh, relatives have been uh displaced by by soviet union so this uh, this hatred towards um you know, towards russian empire russian imperialism and russian colonialism runs uh, very deep in my family but i believe the first um interaction with uh, russian colonial and imperial affairs was uh, I believe when I was around 11 or 12 years old, when uh, Russia uh, basically initiated a war with Georgia in 2008. Uh, I was a child, but till this day, this trauma kind of like haunts me uh, on, on a daily basis. Um, as I've already mentioned, I was 12 years old, but till this day, I, I remember all of those five days like it, it was yesterday. And this trauma also kind of like uh, runs um, in my generation. Uh, and because of that, if you compare like statistics, uh, younger generation in Georgia are far more negative uh, towards Russia than elder generation who, uh, who grew up during Soviet Union. Uh, we are more critical. We, we are... Uh, we despise uh, Russians coming into Georgia, and this is the main reason why Georgian youth is more critical of our current government uh, than any other uh, age group. Um, yeah, I, I think I think that's it. But 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 the most important part, I believe, comes um, uh, in in later years because. Uh, as I've already mentioned in the beginning, um, the whole sphere of my activism and my organization um, is rooted on a basis, on a fact that our government is pro-Russian uh, and they are hiding behind this veil of being uh, pro-Western. And sadly, uh, Georgia's strategic partners, uh, international media, they, they still kind of like refuse to look at the facts um, and call uh, our government what, what they really are. Uh, but, but yeah, uh, those later years have been, have been a, a direct um, indication of how Russia is trying to interfere into Georgia's uh, internal uh, politics through their puppet governance. Yeah. And also, I think it's just so important to every time 
remind people that, you know, Ukraine is not the first sort of yeah. war that Russia has started yeah. in countries mm -hmm. next to it. And I'm just very grateful. I think I was just telling Maxim that we need to bring you back for a full episode to talk about. Uh, okay, okay. Can um, I also like uh, add a uh, just of course. one sentence, and, and I'll mute my mic then. Uh, we we often say that, yes, Georgia was kind of like one of the first victims of uh, of Russian aggression. But uh, the thing with Georgia and Ukraine is that we as nation and we as a state, sovereign independent states, are constantly being punished by Russia for our uh, Euro-Atlantic aspirations, uh, for our European choice, for our... Uh, strive for independence and serenity and the interview and the first collaboration uh, we did and actually posted and premiered like maybe an hour ago that we did with Volia Hub was uh, kind of like uh, circled around this idea. So we had uh, a refugee from Zaporozhia uh, and we had a refugee from Sohumi, Abkhazia uh, and like uh, these women uh, they basically discuss the wars that affected their lives uh, forever. Uh, but but the thing is that even though like 30 years have passed since Abkhazia uh, and the atrocities that the Russian army did in Abkhazia, uh, basically the story is the same. Like if you if you um, if you do, don't look at the picture. Uh, you won't even be able to tell the difference between the story that a Ukrainian woman from 2022 is telling and just between the stories that is told by uh, an Abkhazian woman, from, a Georgian woman from Abkhazia uh, that happened in 1993. Yeah. Thank you. And I think, thank you so much for bringing that up because I think one of the most powerful, I mean, we're all here, let's face it, partially because of Maxim's amazing thread on colonialism that is like the basis for a lot of what we do today in terms of bringing up Russian colonialism. But uh, I think one of the most powerful things in that thread is that Maxim every time says that, you know, Russian colonialism is terribly um, unimaginative. You know, it's terrible. What are the exact words, Maxim? Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's that was it. That it's terribly unimaginable, and that they do the, the same, the same shit over and over again, over and over and over again. And if you look at the Abkhazian nineteen ninety one, if you look at the uh, Ukraine twenty twenty two, if you look at Bashkortostan in in uh, nineteen eighteen, Kazakhstan. Anyway, like this is the yeah. same kind of pattern keeps happening and there's zero consequences and zero justice served uh, yeah this is this is uh, the most uh, important thing for everyone to see as well can i have uh, just one final i swear final remark uh, and and that's it of course no no <laughs> it's just like it's just it's a you know it's a safe space yeah. relax yeah. among friends yeah. so go <laughs> just don't don't want to um take anybody's time uh in the beginning of uh, of the, you know, the discussion you guys uh, talked about how part of ukraine is without electricity now uh and like without supplies and stuff like that which is which is terrible for uh for for citizens and uh we also talked about how russia always uses the same tactics with different countries uh and the thing is that uh the cutting of electricity and cutting of gas supplies was also used 
to intimidate Georgia in 2006, 2007, and 2008 before the war, because my mother actually reminded me, and then I looked it up, and uh, in 2006, like January 2022, uh, some uh, violent, uh, I quote, terroristic attack happened uh, on Russian territory, which cut gas supplies for Georgia for more than a week. And if you know Georgia, and if you know how how uh, crazy cold it, it gets uh, in January, especially, you can imagine how people what people have been through uh, for that week. Uh, and then later, it was indicated that, uh, of course, it was it was done only because uh, Russia was afraid of uh, our previous pro-Western governance and did this only to pressure them. While we have Katerina here as a speaker, if sure. you don't mind, sure, sure, um, sure, yes. would like to um, give the floor to her. Katerina, if you hear us, if your connection is, uh, is good. Uh, yes, I think I can hear you. Do you hear me well? Yes. 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 Okay. Okay. Nice, nice to hear you guys. Uh, I'm not sure that, that my mobile connection is stable because t today is just a blackout in the whole city. I'm in Lviv now. Uh, I heard that you were talking about um, the death of your relatives and, uh, you know, of, of personal history of families that died because of the uh, colonial um, uh, events uh, and genocides, etc. And uh, I'm just thinking now uh, that uh, why would person um, not willing to to learn more about colonialism uh, to uh, you know to, to try to understand how many uh, tragedies and and deaths actually uh, colonial politic uh, bring to to the people uh, so I think it is uh, very important um, uh, to to speak more about uh, about that um, this personal stories because it, it can you know it, it can bring people who didn't think about that yet um, um, uh, bring them you know uh, more sense of importance of it um, I, I really think that um, that millions of people uh, on our earth uh, uh, don't want to die in, in the wars um, that that were caused by uh, colonialism. So I think um, this project that that we do with uh, with uh, some of you guys, I think it 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 can you know be uh, wider than um, than now uh, because now we have you know it is. Uh, I don't. I can say that it's a small community, but it is not that big. And I really want, you know, to to make it bigger, uh, because it can, you know, it, it can uh, it can make some changes uh, that can save lives, like literal lives. Thank you. Yeah, Katarina, why we have here maybe like a one quick also question. You're, you know, you're a seasoned journalist. You 
covered uh, wars, you know, you covered uh, ISIS, you traveled around the world, you saw uh, all the consequences that imperialism, colonialism can bring onto the people. But what do you think is lacking when it comes to, um, you know, global coverage of, uh, of, of what is happening in Ukraine in general? Like, what frustrates you the most when foreign journalists cover what is happening uh, in Russian neighborhood and what do they do not get and what, you know, you hope will be able to uh, you know, fill the gaps, especially uh, for local audiences, but also international audiences with this project? Yeah, thank you for the question. Um... Well, um, actually, I can say that the coverage uh, of the war in Ukraine is getting better and better since 2014, uh, because maybe, maybe some of you remember uh, that uh, back in 2014, uh, when Russia annexed Crimea and then they came to Donbas, uh, many foreign correspondents uh, called this war a civil war or, you know, local conflict and everything. Um, and uh, because of uh, many Ukrainian voices that um, try to, to raise awareness on that it is not uh, um, an internal conflict, it is bigger and the roots of it is in, uh, is in Russian colonialism, uh, but at the time they, they didn't call uh, it uh, like that. Uh, I think that helped uh, a lot to understand more about, you know, the, the roots of, uh, of this war. Uh, and now I see that um, more and more uh, international correspondents uh, go deeper and they really try to, to understand uh, the roots of it. They, they are asking um, really important questions about why Russia ever wanted to, uh, to attack Ukraine. Uh, and this is the question that uh, that I haven't heard uh, in 2014. Uh, so uh, I think um, journalists and activists made uh, a really great work uh, on that. Uh, so, um, but talking about uh, the gaps, uh, if we want people to learn more about uh, colonialism, and uh, what is happening in Ukraine and in Kazakhstan and Georgia and Moldova and other uh, countries in, um, in Eastern Europe. Uh, we, we need to, uh, I mean, we are journalists, uh, right? We, we need to be more integrated in international press uh, because the, the main uh, issue with foreign uh, correspondents and, and bureaus uh, is that they don't want to have uh, Ukrainians in their newsrooms. Uh, they want to stay uh, a bit away uh, from, from locals um, because uh, um, many of them really think that um, locals uh, are biased uh, by the conflict, uh, by the war. Uh, they, they cannot uh, cover the events um, impartially, which is um, which is ridiculous, actually, because when we, uh, I mean, we, we can talk about uh, coverage of uh, problems in uh, in the U.S. 
and American journalists, uh, are they biased by, uh, by their citizenship? Um, are they allowed to, uh, to talk about American problems? We in Ukraine or, you know, Kazakh people in, in Kazakhstan or, you know, whatever, uh, we, we can report on what is happening in our country and we know um, like the hell more uh, about that. Uh, and um, I think if, if we had more uh, local journalists inside international newsrooms, the coverage uh, would definitely be better. Oh my God, I was um, just messaging Maxim. So for for those of you, I mean, you, no one knows this. I don't know why I said for those of you who know this. I went, Katya and, um, and Maxim sent me to a conference a couple of weeks back. And it was a conference on journalism about Ukraine. And I got into a few heated discussions exactly about this topic because I was there to talk about our project, which we're talking about today, to talk about the importance of elevating the voices of people who have experienced, you know, Russian colonialism in order to decolonize journalism practices. And I was still, so basically just to show you some proof a little bit for what Katya was saying that's so prevalent still a in a lot of places, uh, I was basically told by, by someone who was also there that um, if it wasn't for independent foreign journalists who came to Ukraine, and reported on Ukraine and left it only to Ukrainian journalists, it would be only a battle of narratives. And it would be basically like not, not like, basically, you know what I mean. And I straight away texted Maxim and said, oh my God, this is exactly why we're doing what we're doing today. And I'm just so happy that so mm -hmm. many awesome journalists are here as well, who are basically proving people and like traditional journalism practices wrong um, because, yeah, yeah anyway. <laughs> and the, the, the simple thing to understand, I think, for a lot of people, uh, especially foreigners, especially Westerners, that colonialism, first and foremost, is trauma. And if you haven't lived it as a journalist, of course, you can be a very cool journalist and you can get the context and nuance and write and do a terrific report. But if... You never lived through that trauma. I don't think it. you will be able ever to tell that story as good, as nuanced, as informed as someone who has lived through that trauma. And that's why voices from Ukraine, Georgia, Kazakhstan or any other countries that were affected by colonialism and journalists and storytellers coming from there have are empowered and equipped to tell those stories much better uh, and this is just a fact so this is as simple as that uh, Slava if you, we can ask you as well um, about the Volia Hub in general our main goal is of course to kind of foster public conversations within uh, previously colonized countries in local languages as well. So if you can share with all of us a bit, um, what is it like conversation about Russian colonialism if in inside Kazakhstan 
is the perspective is changing and um if yes what would you like expect from Volahab to help you with how we can how we can be of help as well you know it's uh, it's again it's a big question marks because um because you know Kazakhstan it's um it's a very big country which experienced a lot of um a lot of things in 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 20th century and one of these things is um few waves of people who came to the country and uh stayed here for 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 a few generations and because of that we have a lot of um different ethnic ethnic groups who still live um in Kazakhstan and many of them are slavic groups and uh, many of them are targets for russian propaganda and many of them are unfortunately extremely pro russian because of because of propaganda because of many things we see as one of the goals that we have as a journalists as a uh, as as people who believe in the in the future of our country as an independent democratic country we strongly believe that we need to first of all fight for these people um and it means that we need to fight against russian propaganda we need to explain we need to remind a lot of things we need to train critical thinking in many many cases um after the beginning of war i mean full scale war this year we saw that country is you know i cannot say has changed totally but is changing we saw that a lot of people decided to learn more about history of the country we saw that a lot of people decided to switch to kazakh language and uh speak kazakh or learn kazakh in many cases and it's 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 very good i believe for for the nation because um we saw that people many many people are more united in the face of possible possible threats from 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 the neighbor from russia and um and yeah of course it's it's a it's a lot of work that we we need to do and we cannot be alone in this work we need uh, and i totally agree with with Katya Sergatskova that we need to work together with with partners around uh, around this space you know the the countries that were colonized by Russia for years we we need to we need to bring a lot of um, information we need to to work with historians inside our countries we need to work with societies inside our countries and we also need to work with with um with journalists with colleagues around the world who can help us um to 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 bring this topic and to to say that it's important uh, that we all struggled a lot because of Russian colonialism um it's very different right now i can say it's very different understanding of russian colonialism inside 
two groups of people in Kazakhstan. One speaks uh, more Kazakh, one still speaks Russian. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a big work ahead of us. Because of that, we plan to publish our stories not only in Kazakh. Our, of course, our team, they, they are at least like bilingual, but most of them are working, writing in Kazakh. But we, we, we plan to translate a lot of stories into Russian and bring it to the audience in Kazakhstan who speaks Russian and who needs to understand what happened to, to the country um, in the past and why this, this uh, topic is so important for the society and for the nation building. Yeah, so I think it's a very powerful point that you're making about the language as well, because lots of our history, indigenous history, has been rewritten and erased and then rewritten again and mostly in Russian by Russians. So now when you research topics as a journalist, especially when it comes to history or identity topics, a lot of information is mostly in Russian and again written by Russians. And it's very hard to find indigenous voices and especially indigenous languages that, which is bizarre. You try to express or find sources for experiences that you lived and your people lived through, but there is no nothing in language that you speak about those experiences. And this is probably uh, the most bizarre thing that has to be fixed once and for all, for sure. But also another powerful point is about other journalists, apart from Ukrainian journalists, to kind of pick that up topic, because we talked on Ukrainian spaces lots of time about how now Ukrainians are being accused, and Valeria also mentioned it in the beginning, that we're somewhat biased, that we're emotional, that we're hateful, that we're driven by revenge and all this, you know, orientalist bullshit uh, that is used to uh, disqualify and diminish Ukrainian uh, critique. But when they hear that other people from other countries join the same chorus and talk about the same experiences and pointing their fingers at the same actor, uh, that kind of helps us to uh, bring the common message as well. I think, yeah, I think we'll, unfortunately, we'll have to wrap up, but I I think we, uh, Valeria, we would like to uh, ask Nodari the same question about Georgia in general, um, because if you can share with us a bit, uh, what is the situation like as well in Georgia in terms of this, these conversations, uh, whether people also started discussing more colonialism and the history of Russian colonialism and in Georgia uh, because of what is happening in Ukraine at the moment? Uh, well, uh, the situation in Ukraine actually sparked a lot of conversation around Russian colonialism in Georgia. But uh, I, I think I'd be more correct to say that um, the conversation sparked is more about Russian imperialism, uh, which is, uh, I believe, 
kind of different than Russian colonialism. Uh, but yeah, conversation is happening. The only thing that is uh, kind of blocking this conversation for, for Georgian citizens is... Um, <laughs> Uh, I have to come back to this topic again, but our government, uh, our ruling party, Georgian Dream, which is constantly trying to shift the narrative of Russia being this imperial beast that is trying to destroy uh, Georgia as a state. Uh, they, they are trying to uh, portray Russia uh, as somebody that, uh, as a state that should not be irritated, that should not be addressed. We uh, should not talk about Russian imperialism or colonialism, uh, Rus effects of Russian empire on Georgia, because it will, uh, I know it may sound weird uh, and strange and conflicting even, but uh, yeah, the, the representatives of the ruling party of Georgia are uh, trying to uh, say that if we don't talk about uh, Russia uh, and Russian crimes in Georgia, we might actually get peace. So this is this is kind of like where uh, the narrative uh, on on Russian imperialism and Russian colonialism uh, stands uh, in Georgia currently. Yeah, thanks, Nadar. I think. Um... Valeria, if I can also ask you, uh, while we're wrapping up, um, to share a bit of your insights, because uh, part of the work that we do at Volia Hub, we also empower our partners to analyze and learn from audience analysis data that we also gather while we publish these stories. And there are so many fascinating stuff that you saw while we were doing that analysis, at least at early stages. So, um, if you don't mind sharing what we actually learned about the confusion with the terminology, and most importantly, how Russia is trying to already hijack this conversation as we just starting talking about it. Yeah, of course. Um, well, just before we kicked off our whole project, we decided to look a little bit in more depth and understand where we are in terms of how much people use the terms Russian colonialism or in general view what's happening in countries that have experienced it, um, like whether they are even putting, you know, using that lens, because it's important for us to also see that the work that we're doing has impact. And actually what we found is that it's actually quite limited at the moment. So there's been a massive spike in the use of the terminology and in general that perspective of Russian colonialism in English speaking, amongst English speaking audiences. Um, but there has been much less among basically, sorry, one second, I think I'm getting just a bit of feedback. Okay, perfect. Um, yeah, there's been there's been um, way more in English than there's actually been in native languages. So in Kazakh, in Ukrainian, in, in, in Russian, in Kyrgyz, and a lot of um, in Georgian, um, it's been much more limited, which means that the people who have actually went through this and experienced this, like us who are here today, um, are not necessarily like, basically, we have a lot of opportunity to give people the right terminology and the right narrative to be able to reclaim this space. The reason behind why it's so important is because actually, Putin is using um, the terminology of colonialism in general quite a bit. And he's really I mean, skillfully or not, but presenting Russia as this like massive anti-colonial power that is fighting the terrible colonial West and actually 
Um, what our job is, is to call that out and say that actually that's rich coming from a country that's been doing exactly that for centuries to people all around its own country, but also, I mean, um, to nations in its own country, but also others around. So I think my favorite now stat is that like in Putin's one annexation speech um, of like when he tried to annex Kherson and Zaporizhia and, and, and the other, like, yeah, he basically used the term colonialism about 17 times in, in his short 20 minute speech. Um, and in, in, in Ukraine, in a full year on Facebook, people used it around 60. So basically it just shows you how he's weaponizing that terminology to make people support him. And, um, we just need to reclaim that. Yep. Uh, powerful moment, powerful reminder. Again, the tactic that Russia used before hijacking historical narratives, appropriating them. So, yeah, suddenly uh, Russia that has been doing colonialism for centuries is now uh, a victim of colonialism, according to the latest trend in Russian propaganda. But that's why it's important for uh, for us to keep empowering indigenous voices and actual victims and survivors of colonialism all across Russian neighborhoods uh, to tell their stories and to make sure that their voices are heard. Thank you so much. I mean, super, super grateful for uh, Katrina, Slava, Nodar, but also so much for the work uh, that Valeria is doing and our team is doing, both at Volia Hub and at the Ukrainian Spaces. Volia Hub um, is maybe not uh, funded by our patrons at Ukrainian Spaces, but it also exists thanks to you guys because you keep funding us and it allows us to work and find opportunities to expand and branch out and create many new projects uh, that basically serve the same purpose of you know, bringing justice to the region and amplifying indigenous voices. And this is what we're here every day working for so if you're listening it also as a podcast episode you know don't forget to uh, check our patreon page and if you're not still a patron and our sponsor is not part of our patreon family please join um, or consider joining and if you listen to the end please also rate and comment us this is extremely important for us to keep trending no i just wanted to say that like follow slava follow nadar and see um, and Katya, of course, who, for those who don't, and see all the amazing um, content that will be coming out of this and we'll keep you posted about next steps and um, anything else that happens. So thank you yeah. for listening to us today. Thank you so we, much. Um, yeah, that's it. Apart from one thing is follow Ukraine. Hello, I'm Slava. Hello, I'm Slava. See you next time. Bye, guys.